Good morning, diners, food lovers everywhere. Um, you're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And today we're going to expand your um, um, horizons. Horizons, that's, that's the word I was looking for, in terms of what the food can be all about. Uh, we start out with um, something I just learned about is uh, Felicia Ruiz, who is a curandaria. Curandera, yeah. And um, it was, she's going to explain to us what that is. Um, but uh, her book is called Earth Medicines, and everybody's raving about it. Well, this is going to be an exciting conversation. I've been looking forward to this chat with Felicia Kokotin Ruiz for a, a long time. Uh, the book is called Earth Medicines, and it's subtitled Ancestral Wisdom, Healing Recipes, and Wellness Rituals from a Curandera. And, of course, the first question has to be, uh, Felicia, tell our listeners what a Curandera is. Of course, um, and hello from Phoenix, Arizona. Yes. So, um, yes, so I am a curandera, and what that means, just to put it very simply, is a traditional healer. Um, think of it kind of like a medicine person or a medicine woman. Um, in my tradition, uh, it's our way of healing. So it's everything from working with the, bo- the mind, the body, the spirit, and I do that with food, with um, home remedies like herbalism, um, as well as working with just all different types of holistic modalities. So that's why the book is sprinkled with all different types of information. There's so much information in this, and I I must say that um, I'm surprised that there's so much information that I, I never had before. I mean, in, in all my years of doing this, I'm learning new things from this book. Um, you, you have a, an interesting background. Um, you, you live in the uh, Sonoran, Sonoran Desert, right, which is Arizona. Okay. Um, the Sonoran, Sonoran Desert, yes. Yeah, Sonoran Desert. Uh, but you have a... a a complicated um, ancestry, don't you? Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that it's complicated. It's perhaps complicated to some people, but it's very common for many of us um, here in the Southwest. Um, when the Spaniards arrived, mostly with missionaries and, and whatnot, a big part of our culture um, as Indigenous people, um, you know, we worked for or we married. Um, we were servants to um, all sorts of those um, roles in uh, relationships with the Spaniards. And so in, in that sense, like maybe that sounds complicated, but it, it really is just a, a, a unique part of the people um, here, especially in the Southwest, but I'm sure in other parts as well. Right. But um, it, you, you said that, that, you would say you were Mexican growing up, and then you said you were New Mexican growing up. Um, <laughs> but that you 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 belong to um, a, a, a tribe as well, indigenous tribe. And the thing that amazed me the most about this book, actually, is that you 
couple the information that you were delivering with other cultures to such an extent. You you reference Egyptian practices. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's you're open to all kinds of avenues, aren't you? Right, because um, I titled the book Earth Medicines because I wanted to highlight that in my own indigenous way of living, um, we were working with earth medicines, meaning we were working with natural remedies, ways of healing, eating seasonally, um, all of those different things, um, and farming methods, all of those things that are common all around the world in other cultures, such as the Egyptians or people uh, from India, whether they were Ayurvedic, all you seem it. to have right. a, an affinity for Ayurvedic as well. Yes, I've studied many arms of that um, wellness system for for decades now. Yes. Now let's let's try to. There's so much in this; it's hard to summarize. Let's start out with you've organized the book uh, around the four elements. Tell us about that. Sure. So when I was writing uh, my proposal for the book, uh, my publisher wanted to, or my editor rather, you know, wanted to know how was I going to break the book up into chapters. And I honestly, I wasn't sure how I was going to do this. I had an idea for the book. And what I recognized was in my practice of working with people and teaching and sharing information, that everything that I was sharing could somehow circle back to one of the four elements. And that was like my aha moment. And I decided to organize the book by water, air, earth, and fire. And within each chapter, there perhaps, let's just use the water chapter because that's the first chapter. Um, I have different foods and dishes, perhaps teas, um, for hydration for your body, but then I'll also include different um, home remedies that you can use to keep your your skin um, supple and soft, especially for people like me that live here in the Sonoran Desert. Um, and then working with water in a spiritual practice. And that's where the book maybe is a little unusual for people if they've yes. never been in this type of circle. But, you know, what I bring up is that water, for instance, since we're talking about water, like in every culture around the world, water is somehow used in a practice. And with one example being simply um, the Christian faith or the Catholic faith, like th they use water for baptism. And so water can be used in all different rituals and ceremonies and healing um, all around the world. And I wanted to highlight all of these different things um, as best as I can and how I could relate to those. Right. And, and you carry this through uh, the different elements of them. Um, and, and you you have um, actual recipes um, that, that do certain things, um, such as um, provide harmony, uh, promote beauty, um, heal, heal your spirit, 
it's I mean it's it's just full of information that, n- that most people wouldn't have any connection to whatsoever. Do you find people are pretty receptive? Well, because I'm working, because I've been doing this for a long time, I think people that are familiar with my work are very receptive to it. I think for the new uh, reader in, you know, in this type of work, they might have to think outside of their comfort zone for a moment or um, or just really look at their own spiritual practices, how maybe they already do incorporate these things, that, but they never thought of them in that way and so the book you know like I said it really does I do my best to bring in how all cultures we're all indigenous to somewhere we all come from some space and I want people to really understand that although this is a book that's sharing my own indigenous practices I really emphasize throughout the book over and over again how important it is that for our own um, spiritual and emotional wellness that we look back at just, you know, perhaps what our ancestors did just a few generations ago um, for their own healing, you know? Right. I mean, and the history and culture is filled with what people have always done. Um, right now, we're in such a, a state of... Um, destruction of so much in, in, in the world, but people are beginning to pay attention to that. So maybe you'll get more um, uh, more people willing to to expand. What do you think? I, mean, I think we've... so. Right. I mean, I I got my book deal before you know we had our first cases of of the virus that we're all dealing with now hit hit our shores. And so I was already knee deep into writing books um, or recipes for your immune system and helping support that and all of these different things that we're all now addressing as a world. And so um, I don't want to say that this was good timing, but it was perfect timing in that I'm hoping that the book can be a guide for people on how they can um, recognize that we're all together, we're all one human family on this planet called Mother Earth, and that it's so important that we, um, like I say in the book, like we need to start taking care of ourselves and one another and the Earth, you know, the Earth never stops taking care of us, and so... Um, that's why I give all the uh, suggest many of the things that I have in the book. You know, and I wonder why people haven't picked up. Um, I mean, how how um, how old is, is the whole? I mean, I've had relatives with these um, horrible headaches, and you know, but mm-hmm. you seem to have very straightforward um, remedies for migraines. Why Why have they right. never been picked up? I'm sure they have, but what I do is um, I'm not against at all, like, medicine and things like that. It's giving people an option. And also um, many of the home remedies that people have used for, you know, throughout millennia, um, they – they are still here for a reason because they work. Do they work every single time? Perhaps not, but 
you know, I'm I'm always open to trying something and seeing if it works, if especially if it's something I can prepare in my own kitchen. And pharmaceutical companies, I'm sure, don't want us to try those things. <laughs> and so sure. that, that's why those things are not widely as, you know, popular perhaps as, as we would like them to be. Yeah, some some of your remedies you discovered by accident. Tell us about that. Right. So sometimes I'll be making something and I'll realize later that something that was troubling me was, was gone. And so one example from the book was I was preparing a different oil um, for for something else. And I, my nose was really stuffy at the time. I, I don't remember why. If I had allergies, you know, we have a lot of dust here. But I remember after I was done putting together this um, order of oils that my nose was no longer congested. And I realized that what I was working with was a natural decongestant. And so uh, what I ended up doing was making the blend um, – very diluted so that I could actually use it for that reason in the future. You know, my mother went through a phase where she was taking the gel and aloe plants and actually ingesting it, and I thought that was harmful. You say not. Oh, no. I mean, I'm never going to prescribe anything to people, but most of my work is rooted in food as medicine. And many cacti are very edible. You just have to know how to clean them and and succulents as well, such as aloe. Um, I grew up eating aloe vera for um, stomach, you know, issues. Um, well, that's what she was we, doing for, yeah. Yeah, when people had, um, let's say, been diagnosed with ulcers, that was just something that we knew in our community was to to eat um, aloe. Um, we also used it, I'm sure, like many other people have heard, uh, for burns, you know, like little kitchen burns and, That's and what I, sunburns. I always kept one a plant in my kitchen for the burns. Right. So, so most people know that, and that's a wonderful um, little home remedy, but many people don't know that you can actually eat the gel. And so in the water chapter, I have a recipe that helps you stay hydrated by drinking um, the aloe vera juice mixed with other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hit on something else here. I was interested in your fourth sister. And um, last winter, um, I laid hands on a company that um, sends out these kits for growing microgreens, and I, I used them all winter long. I was just debating whether it was worth doing. I mean, they're really easy. But um, you had sunflower microgreens, um, the fourth sister, which was interesting. Tell us about the three sisters, the fourth sister, and then tell, talk a little bit about microgreens in general. Sure. So in indigenous um, stories, I would say, uh, we have, and I mean indigenous from from all over North America, we have the story of the three sisters. Right. The story is always a little bit different, but it's about corn beans and squash and how they all work together to help right. one another uh, grow. And I 
threw in a fourth sister because the fourth sister to me um, is the sunflower because the sunflower is indigenous to um, the Americas and we use the petals. Um, We can eat those. Many people don't know you can eat the petals. We can make almost like a a milky drink with um, the like the face of the sunflower. And, of course, we have the seeds. And so the seeds, I offer a recipe for creating microgreens. And especially if you have little ones in the house, it's super fun for them. But I don't know. I no longer have little ones at the house. No, nor do we. Yeah, it's just fun. Um, It's a way to grow something in those winter months inside for those that live in cold areas. And um, it's like you're getting this bright green, nutty uh, microgreen, and it's a little bit different from, say, some of the microgreens in the store that are really fragile and delicate. Um, If you've never had sunflower microgreens, they're they're nutty like just like the sunflower kernel and they're definitely a little more hardy um you can even put them on top of soups um and things like that and they're packed with chlorophyll which is so good for our blood um and just getting that good oxygen in our bodies well and where do you get the the, the kind of seeds you can sprout uh well I used to buy them in bulk, but then because of the pandemic, almost all of the bulk bins have now, you have to buy the packages. But um, any place that probably had things in bulk, you can probably still find them. Um, Unfortunately, they're probably in plastic containers now, but you just need to make sure that they are raw, unroasted, unsalted um, sunflower seeds. And I usually buy the ones that look almost black as coal, and those are the ones I use for my own uh, recipe. But you can use any sunflower seeds so long as they're not roasted because it's a seed, and if it's been heated and roasted, it's not going to germinate. You're very anti-plastic, and I don't blame you. I agree. (laughs) Yes, I've I've been this way since my 30, probably 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the world's catching up on it, huh? I know, and, and that's why in the book I, I really, I strongly urge people, like, please, if you're making anything in my book, don't feel like you have to go out there and buy containers. Like, look around your kitchen. See what you can save to put your little potions in and your foods in and grow things in. Um, you know, that to me, that was so important to be discussing earth medicines and then to go out and buy plastic and plastic felt, yeah. felt very uh, contradictory. Well, you know, I mean, if you're writing a book like this, you have to be really very, very, very specific because um, you could recommend things that people will not take for uh, take into consideration variables that uh, that they add in, not what you prescribe but what they add in. And I was thinking particularly on your dealing with healing with spring water because that's always been um, – you give good advice on it, but it's hard to find pure spring water in, in coming out of the ground. 
talk us tonight ask about that. Well, it's out there. Um, in every in every state, there's you know springs. It's just unfortunately, you know, some of the wild springs, you know, have been vandalized and and whatnot. So you do have to do a little research. And I I hate saying this, but sometimes when you find one, like you don't want to tell anyone else because you want to <laughs> have it there for yourself. But um, you know, it. it it's uh, like mushrooms, like wild mushrooms. Yes, exactly. It's like it's it's a beautiful thing that's happening, and and this water tastes so good. It's nourishing. Um, it just doesn't taste like you know our chlorinated water that comes out of our taps. And um, if you can find a space, I know there used to be some websites that you could kind of like. Um, Google, you know, where are where are some natural springs in my state, and it could help you out there. I don't know if that still is in existence, but that would be a good starting space. I didn't know that they had that. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Of course, there are whole spas um, founded on top of um, thermal springs, particularly, I guess, huh? Yes, and and those places, I mean, that's why I talk about it in the book, you know, whether you want a wild spring or a resort spring, they're both beautiful to enjoy. It just depends what you want your experience to be. Mm-hmm. So you're recommending that, that they you find something, a natural spring that's not a resort in your particular area. I think that's a hard, <laughs> hard assignment. Yeah. Yeah, if you're, I mean, as far as finding a, a good, a reputable spring to get water to drink, you know, to consume, but the resorts that have the springs, um, those are mostly for people to enjoy the thermal, you know, the waters for their for their physical properties. Now, um, how about let's take something and try to explain to listeners, like, what what some of your um, recipes are like. Let's try 20 flower oil. What is it? What does it do? What do you, how do you make it? Well, 20 flower oil, um, it does not contain 20 flowers. It's made with a flower um, called Sempasocio, which means 20 flowers. And that's actually the recipe that I was um, discussing earlier about the one that helped with my sinus congestion and and not being able to breathe that day. Um, Many people, I would say nowadays, um, know of the the holiday called Dia de Muertos, which is um, like the day for the dead. Um, It's not solely a Mexican holiday. holiday, but it, it's all over the uh, different parts of the Americas, Mesoamerica, and we have a special flower that we use to um, adorn the altars and, and the areas for this special holiday, and it's called Sempasocio. Well, that was the flower that I was working with when I was um, making that special oil. And after I was done, yeah, I realized that I could breathe much easier. So the recipes are a combination of perhaps using things you've never heard of before, which that may have been one of them, but also working with 
plants that are very easy to find, such as rosemary, which I think so many people now know and can grow rosemary, you know, perhaps making a liniment or something with that. So I would say on the spectrum, it's like there are going to be some plants and and things in there that maybe no one's ever worked with, or maybe they've had them, but they never knew that they did. Um, An example would be the zazaparilla, which is the um, sarsaparilla, right? Some yeah. people may have never worked with it, but maybe they've had back long ago in their memory some really good homemade root beer yes. that just doesn't taste like anything like you purchase at the store, oh, exactly. you know, today. Right, all of the corn syrup and flavoring. But the old-fashioned root beer was made with all of these amazing uh, Mexican roots. And so um, I have recipes in there for things like that. So it's a combination of um, easy-to-find ingredients and also things that perhaps you might have to um, take a trip to your local herbal shop. Well, you know, we've only scratched the surface of this book. Um, I, I, for a last question, I would like for you to tell me how you think that the average reader, um, how do you want the average reader uh, to use this book? I want them to use the book um, as a guide uh, to perhaps bring in some more natural ways of living into their daily lives. And I also want them to be able to get a peek into a person's life that um, grew up in the Southwest with, you know, different um, cultural lineages. You know, I I do a lot of storytelling before each recipe just to give them a little glimpse into my life. So it's not a cookbook exactly. It's not a a remedy book of of herbals, uh, therapies. Um, It's not exactly a spiritual book. It's all of those things. And I I put it together in hopes that people could at least have an alternative to how they can go about their day, um, bringing in all of the elements. And my hope is that they also enjoy the stories as well. Oh, the stories are good. Um, again, listeners, it's Felicia Kokotsin, if I say that right, Ruiz, and the book is uh, called Kokotsin. Yes, Kokotsin, and it's um, mm-hmm. the book is called Earth Medicines, and uh, it's going to open a whole new world for you. I bet. I mean, it, it does for me. So I thank you again for talking to us, Felicia. It was my pleasure. And for any of your listeners, um, you can find the book virtually anywhere books are sold. So. And do you have a website or not? I do have a website. It's kitchencurandetta.com. Um, and if you're looking for the book, um, again, like I always encourage people to Try their their independent bookstore first, but it can really be found online anywhere just by looking up um, Earth Medicines. Okay, sounds good. Well, uh, what a pleasure. <laughs> and, and, and the photograph of you helps a lot, too, because people are going to want to look like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good advertisement, <laughs> Felicia. Good advertising. 
Well, thank you so much, and thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having me on your show. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. We're going to do what might be viewed as a full 360 for our next guest because it's some it's easy and delicious. And we're talking to Chrissy Denny, who wrote um, a book called Scrumptious, and we're going to be discussing that, and also her philosophy of easy, simple, and so on. And she learned something along the way because she was part of a family of ten, and she has she herself has five children. But the most remarkable thing about her, and Anne was very surprised about this, and she learned something new because she didn't know what a long snapper was in football. And it turns out that Christie's Christie's husband played for, I think, something like 15 years for the the Miami Dolphins. He has a long snapper. We're going to be talking to Christie Denny about her new book, Scrumptious, which is a word that my mother used all the time, and I've always loved that word. Great title for the book. We discovered something even more fascinating and, and that is, and that is that Christy is the bride of the long snapper <laughs> of the Miami Dolphins, which makes her an expert on everything we we talk, we talk about every Sunday. But today yeah, you've been he, displaced. You've been displaced by talk about food. <laughs> well, but you know, as she writes in her book, um, she. She, it, it, football is in their blood, in the whole family's blood, uh, and 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 a lot of the food centered around the experience is what she uh, recalls. And there's more to talk about with the the food and the contributions of her husband and so forth. Let's just get on with. Um, start with. I'm amazed that you had time to write a book. Um, you, you come from a family of ten. You have five kids. Um, I imagine your husband's life was very busy, so that you had the bulk of, the, of juggling all these meals and everything um, in all the years, right? Absolutely, yes. So I actually, this is my second cookbook. So the first cookbook, I think I had five kids under the age of eight. Oh, and no. So that, <laughs> that was really hard, and I I ended up writing it during the season, so my husband was pretty much gone. So this round has been really enjoyable because I do have a little more time. They're all in school, and he actually wrote the low-carb chapter of the book. Yeah, I read that because that's the one chapter that totally surprised me, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, (laughs) What is the girl who ate everything? Well, so that name, I think I've always been known for being around the food table. I was always the one that was eating all the cookies, you know. I kind of earned that name, and I I wanted to call – that's the name of my blog. So I wanted to call it the girl who ate everything. I thought about the woman who ate everything or the lady, but the girl just seemed more fitting. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is clearly a a book 
written by somebody who understands um, feeding large groups of people. <laughs> <laughs> you aren't kidding. And doing it as yes, quickly, so. as easily as possible. Um, how I did you... joke about... Oh, go ahead. Go, no, go finish your sentence. Oh, I was going to say, I actually joke about that. I don't have many talents, but one of my talents is making food for large groups of people in large we, masses. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're the youngest of, of 10, so you, you grew up with this kind of um, uh, crowd feeding, didn't you? Absolutely. So I have 100 first cousins, just first cousins, <laughs> so 100. So it has always been a lot of people and a lot of food. Well, I like how you said you really think you ought to have been Greek because of all this. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, yeah, so my whole life's been revolved around food, and if you didn't eat it fast, it was gone. So. <laughs> Peter grew up in wartime England, and, and um uh, there, there wasn't a thing called seconds. Let me tell you. Well, you know, you took, you took exactly. turns. Exactly. You took, you, you took turns for who, who got seconds, assuming there were any, which there were not always. <laughs> yes, leftovers. That's not a thing either. We didn't ever have leftovers. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's like uh, it's like that to this day in my brother's house. You, you notice that, sweetheart, right? Whenever we go. The, uh, the the portions are doled out very carefully, and there isn't there isn't anything you can go get seconds, if you, even if you pray for it. They just inhale the food. <laughs> My nephews, I mean, <laughs> there there are these thin little things, and they I don't know how they inhale all the food. But um, oh talk to us a little bit about how you organize the the, the book because it's not the usual. <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or whatever. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that. So my first book, I kind of felt like I had to do the cookbook. I had to have, like you said, breakfast, lunch, dinner. I had to have all the chapters. And that was seven years ago, and I've had my blog for 13 years. So I believe, like, over time, I've realized what people really want. And they told me, I always ask, you know, what are you guys looking for? And over and over, I heard quick meals one-pan meals, sheet-pan meals. So I kind of, this book was just dialed in to what they wanted and also what I, as a mom, you know, and having to get dinner on the table quickly wanted. So I do have a little bit of everything, but it's stuff that, it's recipes that people are asking for. And they did want a low-carb section, like you said. Yeah, that was the one that kind of surprised me because, it, it, you know, I always thought you had a carbo load to do all the stuff that you and your family do. But Yes. Um, I'm really into this one-pan dinners and this uh, the, um, the sheet-pan dinners since I invested in one of those um, holy sheet pans, the blue ones. Mm-hmm. And, and Ooh, so yeah. it, it, you figure out all the things you could do on that if you have one because it wasn't cheap. Right, right. No, um, I kind of snuck. I do have a one-pan chapter, but I kind of snuck in a few more one-pan dinners. Just in, the, I have a chapter called Feeding a Crowd, so I did some sheet pan dinners in there, which are technically one-pan. So I kind of snuck as many as I could in there just because I feel like that's what we all want, you know. Yeah. So basically, just reviewing, you have your uh, your chapters as one pan dinners, 
feeding a crowd, which you sure know how to do, game day eats, which you also <laughs> know how to do, then the, yeah. the, the low-carb favorites, which we're going to talk about further on, quick and easy, but I think they're all pretty much quick and easy, and then tried <laughs> and true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, which, and then as you admit to having this voracious sweet tooth, you have a, a good long mm-hmm. chapter on something sweet. That's, yes. that's the line up here. Uh, now, I wanted to mention one of the other influences is you grew up in Arizona, so that you do have a, a Mexican flair to your, mm-hmm. your recipes. Yeah, so growing up in Arizona, Mexican food, it just, whenever I eat it, I feel like I'm home, I'm with my family. And then it kind of, when we moved to Miami, I kind of got those Cuban flavors in there. And now we're living in Utah, so it's more like comfort food and soups are what I gravitate towards and that, you know, warm, cozy stews and stuff like that. So it definitely, where you live, definitely affects how you cook because you're not going to make soup in Miami. Why why (laughs) Utah? Great question. We're still trying to figure that out. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, so my husband is from Colorado. I'm from Arizona, but we both have some family in Utah. So it was kind of like the compromise for us. And yeah, we've liked it so far. We've only been here a year. So yeah, I I went to, I went to Salt, I went to Salt Lake just one time and there was an inversion, which apparently is very common. And so, so you couldn't, so you can't see anything. Oh, yeah. oh, well, it's bright and sunny today, but yes, you do have those days of inversion. And I'm a warm weather. I grew up wearing sandals. Florida, I never put shoes Me on. Me too. So when I, <laughs> when I moved to Utah, I had to buy closed-toed shoes. I know that sounds weird, but I really, I had sneakers, but I didn't have any other closed-toed shoes because I just love the warmth, you know. <laughs> well, you know, you also, I think, have either um, a, a strong ability to direct your kids eating habit, oh. or you just got really lucky because I, I was so impressed by the fact that you could make a dish and, and they, it would please all of these people, <laughs> your husband, your five children, yeah. yourself. How did you happen to do yeah. that? Well, I think I because I've been doing this for a while since they were born, um, they've been introduced to different palettes all along the way, so they're pretty adventurous. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, I won't put a ton of heat if I'm cooking for the family. I won't put a ton of, you know, spicy stuff in there. But they're pretty adventurous. Um, when they come home from school, I've usually cooked something during the day. So I'll have, like, an A plate and a B plate, and I'll have them say, which one's better? So they kind of get involved <laughs> in the testing, you know. Uh-huh. They like yeah, that. Well, our, our son Adam grew up exposed to everything because um, I was a restaurant critic and, and – you know, he, oh, wow. So he really was adventurous eating. But his kids were, they spent a long time picking apart. This one didn't like that. This one didn't like the other <laughs> things. <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah I, I remember that was the most discouraging thing when we had a full house. Um, and mm-hmm. when, you know, you'd have to please all these different palates. This one didn't eat this. This one didn't eat that. And it got to be really. Uh, it, I hear chefs talk the same about what stresses them out. 
is now, of course, um, everybody has allergies and has this mm-hmm. and that and the other. And so that is a real effort to, to get everybody on the same page with food. But if, if, you oh, want sure. agreement on one, if you want agreement on one thing, they all like bacon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say chicken nuggets, but you can't eat those for every meal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you can. Well, now, you could. I was wondering how you came into this food, but you were um, a, a professional recipe writer for Betty Crocker and General Mills, and, um, and, and you, you, you got to work on um, show um, what I'm trying to say, um, you know what I'm trying to say. say um, I don't know why I got tongue-tied, but <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the uh, food styling is what I've tried to think about, as well as recipe writing. But where did that come from? I mean, you said you've always been the one who is eating. Yeah. So. Actually, what came first is I started the blog in 2008, and then those opportunities came. So a lot of people ask, like, how do you get those jobs? How do you get those breaks? But I always tell people, just start. Just start doing what you're doing, and opportunities will come. And so I started the blog. I don't know if you know the story about it, but it's kind of sad. So in in 2008, my sister, um, she passed away suddenly from a blood clot in her lungs. Oh, and no. um, she was 35. She had a son and was married, and it was very tragic and oh, sudden. Yeah. And so all my family was in Arizona, and they were kind of grieving together. And I was in Florida, just wrecked. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp what had just happened, and I just was feeling really distraught. And so I made a cherry cheese pie that I used to. We used to eat all the sisters at Thanksgiving. We'd go in the corner and eat eat this cherry cheese pie, and we wouldn't let any of the guys have it. We just all eat with just a fork, no plate. And <laughs> when I when I made that cherry cheese pie, it felt like almost like a blanket around me. I just felt this warmth and comfort. And I that's when I started the blog, as I wanted to give recipes to other people that would have those traditions and those memories with them. And that's how it all started. So kind of a sad story, but that's the truth. Well, you had to have had an interest in food from a much earlier stage, though. True, true. So, so. Um, I actually graduated um, in computer science, and I worked as a programmer for <clears throat> a few years. And so now I get to use my computer science background on the blog and kind of marry those two loves that I have, and so that's been super helpful and fun to see the big picture of how that all turned out, you know? <laughs> you know, I read a study once that said that um, the the biggest um, range of addictions, um, be it, you know, alcohol or uh, drugs or whatever, um, and, and addictive behaviors are in computer programmers. <laughs> oh, really? There you go. Who knew? <laughs> yes. They're also they also had among the highest percentage of smokers. Oh, did they? Oh, well, I, I didn't know that. that. Well, if you, if you go back a <laughs> I long, why. if you go back a long time to to when I was in the same business as as you espoused, there was always an ashtray outside the door into the computer room. <laughs> wow. 
So you were in computers as well? Yeah, for a long time. Oh, wow. Then, then, I, then, I, then I got more into uh, communications and applications and tr- trying trying to make people feel better mm. via telehealth rather than having to go see the doctor. That became the focus of my work more recently. Yeah. And then we got we got into this thing called a blog, which we didn't even know we were creating. <laughs> now you're talking about the we podcast that we had. We, we, ca- we, yeah, we, called it a, we called it a radio program. We didn't call mm-hmm. it a podcast. Oh, yeah. well, it was we didn't radio. know what a podcast was. And it actually started out, as, as Anne's pointing out, it actually started out as a, as a, as a program on a radio station. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, back to your How book. How many years have you... <laughs> we don't back have to go to back book. to the book. Just kidding. Yeah, back no, to your book. I want to know how... Go ahead. We could go back to the book. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, one of the things I noted, and I don't, I don't know how to explain it or what to call it, but you take some classic recipe concepts of food, and you change the form and the format of it, like... I'm looking right here at um, BLT pasta. In, mm. Instead of a BLT sandwich, you have a P- BLT pasta. And, and it goes, you have these throughout the book. Mm. What, what do you call it? And is this something that's, that, um, that's <laughs> deliberate that you do? I mean, like here um. you have Greek nachos. Um. I see where you're going. I see that now that you point that out. I guess it's just natural to me to take something and deconstruct it or throw it in a different way. That's um, it. I think that's why, yeah, that's why my book is called Scrumptious because I do like to do whimsical or just a different twist on what is the classic dish, you know. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I love I love doing that. My I, mean, I love mixing Mexican with Italian and, you yeah, know, you do. kind of getting creative. And here you have sheet pan pancakes. Now, tell us about that. That's really interesting. Well, I am not a morning person, so I don't like to be up in general (laughs) in the morning. But if I have company over, you know, this, you can just stick in there. You're not a slave to the stove flipping pancakes over and over. So that's why I like the sheet pan pancakes because you can just stick it in, forget about it, and then you're ready to serve. So, yeah, I mean, I've never seen uh, the, you know, I, I know what a Cuban sandwich is, but I've never yeah. seen a Cuban sandwich dip. No, you're making me sound so creative. I love it. I, I just think it's normal. <laughs> well, you are. Now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, so we, like I said, I love football food, which is a lot of dips, and it's just a part of our life. I mean, every Sunday we would go to the game and then I'd come home and I'd have everything prepared just so we could eat right away. And it was always dips. And the Cuban dip is definitely a, inspired by Miami and just the flavors of a Cuban sandwich with the pickles and the ham. And yeah, we love that. So football food, I have a special place in my heart for, for sure. Yeah, I guess you would. <laughs> Now, yeah. let's, let's go into this thing that was a surprising chapter for me, the uh, low-carb um, favorites. You, you mm-hmm. said that, that your husband uh, 
worked on these recipes to perfect them. Now, yes. why, what was so the motivation he, for low-carb? Because I thought, as I said earlier, that athletes uh, carb-loaded rather than low-carb. So probably four years ago, my husband got really into the keto lifestyle, the low-carb lifestyle, and he noticed for him when he ate that way that his inflammation was less in his knees and his shoulders, and he ah. just felt like he had more mental mental clarity and a lot more energy and so he became really passionate about it and he ended up right you know he writes anytime i make something i'll make like a carrot cake cheesecake to look at it and be like i can make that keto and so he posted recipes on my blog and they were some of them are some of the top 10 recipes to this day so as soon as he would post them people would go crazy for him because a lot of people are trying to do low carb so yeah. that's why we included it in there. And I think as much as people love food, they do, you know, a lot of people are trying to watch their carbs and, you know. So I mm-hmm. felt like it was relevant. And he he works in parallel with me. So during the cookbook, he would just work next to me doing his thing, and I obviously would taste it and kind of say, oh, you know, yeah. could use that. But he's heavily involved for sure. Here's another one of your creative things egg roll in a bowl (laughs) tell us about that (laughs) so basically we just took the insides out of the egg roll wrapper and put it in a bowl and so you have to try it's actually we probably made it 200 times i mean at least we we eat that a lot but so it's basically the insides and you can add as much spice as you want there's cabbage in there for some crunch or if you like a little more cooked you can put sriracha more sriracha for more um, spice if you're up to that, but a little drizzle of ses- sesame oil on top. Um, so it's sautéed beef with cabbage and lots of spices, but it's done in 15 minutes. So super easy. Yeah, I tell you, I thought it was absolutely brilliant was your ham and egg breakfast braid. I mean, <laughs> you, you always, I mean, you're always in a bind when you have company and, and you have to deal with yeah. breakfast on top of everything else. And you do it all, and it's all ready. You could do it in advance, right? Absolutely. And it's pretty impressive, although it looks, it looks really like it took a lot of time, but it's one of those that you can have done in 10 minutes. I mean, you can have it prepared to have to bake for a little bit longer, but... Um, that's one thing since we moved to Utah, we found that everyone comes through here to visit. And so we have had more people stay in our house in this last year than we have in the last 20 years of marriage. So I've had to have a lot of breakfasts that are easy and ready to go just for company, you know. Yeah, we, we found this to be true in D.C. We called it the Hague Hotel. <laughs> exactly. So I actually um, – I call my house Greystone Manor because there's a lot of Greystone. And so I bought a guest book when we first moved in. And so people sign it when they stay with us. And there are a lot of names in there already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, I love your the titles of your – they're they're cozy, homey, and, and very, very descriptive of what you're trying to do, like your butter swim biscuits. <laughs> Oh, there. Yeah, we're not lying about how much butter is in no, that's for swimming sure. in butter. <laughs> Those no. are to die for. Well, they certainly sound it. <laughs> but yeah. you're right about I your mean, sweet tooth. 
Your, your oh, dessert section is <laughs> incredible. You don't skimp on, on any of the sweet stuff, do you? No. I, in fact, so I've had people tell me over the years, I've never met anyone that likes cookies and chocolate as much as you. I've never met anyone else. So I've had several people tell me that. I love my sweets. Yeah. Well, this is also another first for me, a sheet pan pecan pie, which looks absolutely scrumptious. <laughs> okay, so that goes back to the 101 cousins because you couldn't just make one pie. You had to make most like seven pecan pies for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I figured we would cut out half the work and just put it in a sheet pan. <laughs> but but actually, idea. prepping that recipe, that recipe to prep only takes probably 10 minutes. So it's one of the easier recipes for Thanksgiving if you are going to do that. It's, it's gorgeous looking. So is your birthday cake cinnamon rolls. Uh, the photography oh, is really mouth-watering here. Oh, thank you. Well, listeners, you, you really need, if, if you want comfort food, and in the simplest way of of thinking about it if you're feeding large quantities of people um diverse palates here's the book for you it's called scrumptious and it's by christy denny also known as the girl who ate everything christy it's been a delight talking to you and uh much success on this book oh thank you so much for having me this is fun so now you have all this time in your hands. <laughs> right. So well, much keep, time. keep us posted. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christy. Bye-bye. Well, I think that just about does it for this week once again. Um, Robert? Go Steelers. Yeah, go Steelers. Go Steelers. <laughs> Join us again, same time, same place next week. And until then, bye-bye.